But as we get into Luke chapter 7, I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and we're going to get through all 10 verses, I promise you. And then we're going to study it out verse by verse. But I want you to see the context of this story because you guys are Bible students and you're learning about Jesus, becoming more fascinated with him. It says, now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, the sermon on the plain is over. The Beatitudes is wrapped up. He's done preaching. It took us six weeks to get through chapter six. And when he was done preaching and teaching, he turned his mic off, stepped off the stage, and what he does next is just as if not more powerful than the teaching he just gave. I love good sermons. I love great teachings. I love reading good books. I love devotionals. I love that didactic flow of information coming right at me, full throttle, truth. Ah, I love it. What happens after that, though? After you get the truth, after you get this sermon today, and the mic is turned off and we step off the stage, we learn not just from what Jesus said, we do, but we also learn from what Jesus did. I love it. Luke, the author, includes these two next stories. We'll get through one today and one next week. These next two stories, so we would not just get the truth of Jesus, the truth, but we would also get the grace that we would see God in the flesh living amongst people just like y'all are going to do today, okay? Believe it or not, this is not real life, what we're doing right here, okay? Y'all sitting here staring at a weirdo on stage. This is, this is just that part of instruction and teaching. Real life happens when we go out there with what we receive in the teaching. This is very important. Equally important is what we do with it. Jesus turns the mic off and he does this. Let's read, read verse one again. I just want you to get the context. Now, when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And so when he, that is the centurion, the Roman guard, the man in charge, the soldier, a centurion, we get the word sentry, meaning a person over 100, this guy was a commander, a captain of other soldiers. He's a man's man, and yet he's got a friend who's sick. And the clinical diagnosis from the physician Luke is sick and ready to die. This is not a good day for him in a lot of respects. He's got a couple strikes against him right away. He's a Gentile. Okay? In those days, there was two categories of people, Jew and Gentile. That's it. This guy was a Gentile. And not just a Gentile, he was a Roman Okay, and the Romans occupied the known world at that time. And not just a Roman, he was a centurion, which means he was a Roman soldier with blood on his hands. And yet he finds himself in need. I don't care where you grew up or how it looks for you or other people. All of us have the same fabric of makeup, every single one of us. We all experience death, dying, pain, sickness, and tragedy equally, everybody. And we all have the same opportunity to do what this guy did. <sighs> to cry out to Jesus. Well, this guy's situation is not good. We'll talk about it later. You guys are listening way too slow. I got to keep reading here. Well, verse three. So when he, the centurion, he heard about Jesus. Interesting. Just think about it. This Roman guy hears about this rabbi. Well, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him, pleading with Jesus to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, Jesus had just got done teaching and he's with the people. They begged him earnestly. I wonder what that looked like. Saying that one for whom he should do this was deserving. 
telling them the story. There's this guy, he's got a servant. We don't know all the details, but the, you, earnestly begging, trying to convince Jesus. And their logic was he's deserving. Here's their reason, verse 5. For he loves our nation, this centurion. And he's built us a synagogue. He's actually served us. He's not just here doing his time. He's actually a legitimate man serving the nation of Israel. He's helping us to move along in our faith. Listen, verse 6. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I, I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Look at verse 9. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. Jesus is the master of truth. I hope you know that. You see, we got a lot of sources that dispense truth these days that are not masterful. A lot of people say, and we think, and our opinion is, and I believe. And I love having a congenial, if that's the right word, conversation with someone about what they believe, if it's different than me. And I ask them, where, where did you get that? Now, that's cool what you believe. Where, where's your source? Did you just come up with that on your own? Is it a hot topic? or Where are you drawing your foundation from? And what I believe is what the Bible teaches. That's where I get my truth. Okay? And if it goes against the grain in my life, I adjust my life to the grain. I change because it's the truth. And it changes your life. If you abide in his word, Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Everyone's looking for freedom. Everyone's looking for the direction. What should we do? So many opinions, so many blogs, so many groups. I believe, I believe. Where, where'd you get that from? Oh, Ireland, Irish. That's how we're raised. Really, really? And that's enough for you? My, 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 my heritage? Jesus gets off the mountain teaching truth, and then he displays for you and I this amazing grace. He doesn't just get off of his teaching time, truth, 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 and then go back into his mansion or into his limousine or into his Learjet and fly off to headquarters. Instead, he goes to Capernaum. Let's read it again. Verse 1. Now, when he had concluded all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered into Capernaum. Capernaum would be a small, podunk, messed up, backwoods, little town. Anywhere from 300 to 500 people at its max height capacity of a farming, fishing community. Maybe 1,200 people historically. Just a small village. And here it's Jesus. Given the truth, that will change the entire world. And he goes to dwell with real people. He goes off of his stage now into life with the people that God has asked him to love. Now, in the sermon that he gave us, it was full blast. I don't know if you guys remember it. You already forgot about it. It was crazy. Love your enemies. If you're forgiven, you should forgive. Given, it will be given back unto you. Love the unthankful and the evil. 
Get that plank out of your own eye. Produce good fruit. Listen and obey. Build your house on a foundation. He gives this crazy truth. And if you were taking notes, you're like, are you for real? Like, this is nuts. Are you getting any of this? this? I don't know how we're going to do this. What are we going to do? Teacher, don't leave. Oh, he's not leaving. But he's coming into my house. What in the world? He just told us how to do it. What to do, what not to do. Full blast truth to the face. And now he's coming into my house to live it out. See, it's grace in relationships, and it's truth from heaven to us. This combination that Jesus brought, that Jesus brings, great truth followed by great grace. Now, this is so legit, especially for you leaders in here, you coaches and moms, dads, bosses and teachers and employers and leaders and Sunday school people. Listen, Jesus taught the people the truth, and it's not really even that hard to lay down the law. I mean, have you figured this out? The truth is actually pretty easy, like the right and wrong. You read the book a couple times, you know, you step out of bounds a few times, you bear the consequence. You're like, well, I think I'll do the truth. And it's pretty easy to dispense that as a coach or a leader, as a parent. This is the line. This is where it's at. It's, it's easy, really. What makes a great mom or dad, though, or a boss or a leader is when you decide to go the next level, or should I say the other side of the coin, and not just give them truth, but to then live in relationship with people, offering authentic care for the people you're over. Jesus is nuts. He could have easily right here said, all right, I got to go back to Jerusalem. The high priest is waiting for me. We're going to arm wrestle, do some stuff, you know, but I wanted to give you guys the truth, but I got no time for you. And he could have left. I went, okay, I get, I get you. Instead, he said, no, no, the way this works, the way truth is ignited in your heart, the way you want to do what you've been instructed to do is through relationships, is through grace. Parents, grandparents, coaches, teachers, it's easy to tell people what to do. It's not hard, okay? Just a, just a little bit of not hard. The magic, the miracle is when the people learning from you know that you love them. They know that you want them to succeed. They know that there can be trust built in this relationship. The magic is when the student learns from the teacher but learns to love the teacher and vice versa. Pete Carroll is uh, currently the coach of the Seattle Sea Chickens, I think is what they're called. I mean Seahawks, Seahawks. I didn't say that. Anyways, the Seahawks. Pete Carroll, you guys know he's the coach right now of the Seahawks. I think he's got a couple championship rings under his belt and all the rest. Pete Carroll, though, he's been a coach for many years. And he coached at USC for nine or so years and all the rest. And the organization got into some trouble and tainted his legacy. But if you study Pete Carroll's coaching philosophy, the professionals out there say it won't work. You're, you're all messed up. Because Pete Carroll has a reputation for being the player's coach. He's not just a team coach or an organizational leader. He has a philosophy of his own where he coaches individual players. And he builds relationships with them. And he does life with them. And the people in the NFL said that, that, that might have worked in college, all these 18, 19-year-old guys who maybe need a dad in their life. And you could coach them and get to know them, but it won't work in the NFL. <clears throat> Pete Carroll is a great study on 
character and commitment and love and relationship as he gets to know each player and allows them to be themselves. He's been on 2020. There's some Dateline stories you can watch about him. And unconventional. And these players, they're, they're unique and diverse. And he allows them to be them while still coaching them to championships. You want to know where the disconnect is coming right now in your leadership, whether it's husbands and wives growing together or parents, moms and dads with their kids, or maybe you're a boss or even just a coworker and you're a manager, or, or maybe you're just a friend or your older brother or sister or something. Somebody's under you right now, and it's your responsibility to lead them in truth but also to love them in relationship. This is so important. And I fear there are too many families growing up today with the law, the truth. That's easy. It's not hard. Okay, here's the rules. Here's the curfew. Here's the problems. Here's what's going to happen if you don't do it. And all the young boys and girls, okay. And yet the relationship is what I think Jesus models for us here. He doesn't just tell them what to do and then disappear. He goes and lives with them. He builds relationships with them. He plays with their kids. He's in Capernaum there. He helps them mow their lawn, put in sprinklers. He helps them work on their camels, I imagine. You know, he's just doing stuff, you know, just camel tune-ups or whatever. That. He's, he's doing stuff with them. This is where it's fun because, again, this isn't real life. This is the truth part. This is the message. All right, sermon, sermon, sermon. We're going to go out and do relationships with people. And they're going to wonder, is it real? But the thing about you, South Beach Church people, we hope folks say, is you guys are you're staying the, you're staying the line, you're, you're, you're towing it, you're, you're, you're doing that true thing, but you know what? You're kind of you're normal, too. It's kind of cool. You, 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 you appreciate who I am. You ask questions. You're, you go to my basketball games, or you, you go to my recital, or you're, you're worried about my home sale, or you're, you're invested. And I think as we get more and more stable and founded on the truth of God, we better equally be more invested in our community for God, doing more radical things, joining the booster club, joining the rotary club, joining the club, doing stuff, being real in people's lives, going to the gym, going to games, being involved. And it may be a very simple word, but I think in Christianity, we find ourselves wanting to drift over into the us four, no more, bar the door, Bible bubble, holy huddle, don't want to touch this crazy world. You know, I got the truth now and I just kind of want to put a suit on and stay away. Listen, Jesus teaches the craziest truth you've ever heard and then goes to Capernaum and hangs out with the people. On purpose. This makes Christianity fun, okay? This will set you free from just being a pharisaical, stoic, learned Christian. Oh, I better, better get this truth thing down real good. Go turn those kids down. They're being way too loud, you know? <laughs> this isn't supposed to be fun. We can have fun later. I just, it's so simple. But it'll change Everything. I remember one time I was at a church service in Bend, Oregon, about 11 years ago. The church was called Oasis, and it uh, doesn't exist anymore. It's a different, different sermon, different, different point. But at the time, I remember the message. It was so powerful. Out of the book of Genesis, all about the life of Lot, the life of Abraham. I, I remember the points. I, got, I wrote them down. It impacted me deeply as a young man. The truth. That was not, that was not real life. That, but I remember it. It was powerful. You know what happened after the message? The pastor got down 
got done, and it was at a school. We were having a barbecue. I was just visiting. They were having a barbecue outside and, and food and concert, but when we were, they were renting a school. In order to have church there, they had to take care of the school too. So it was time to fold up all of the chairs and put everything away, and there was three people doing it, the pastor and two others. And with a big smile on his face, Russ DeVos is his name, folding up the chairs, putting them away, a real labor of love. After he had given us the truth that impacted me deeply, I wrote notes still to this day. I live by them, walk in fear of some of the stuff we studied. But what equally impacted me was the grace, was the reality that this guy was invested in his people. And I, wanna, I don't want to do one or the other to the forsaking of one or the other. See, there is a temptation to do one or the other. I just want to be so truthful, so irrelevant, so right, so pharisaical, so proper and so pure, and you become nothing but white noise to the people around you. Or, for the sake of relevance, relatability, you can actually distance yourself from the truth. Well, I don't want to, you know, freak anybody out by, eh, you know, being too crazy. I just want people to like me, and I want to be included, and I want to be part of the team. And I don't want to, when they ask that question, I'll just say, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just going to keep my opinion. And you can go in this side too much also. Jesus did both. Did you remember what he just taught? He taught crazy stuff. And then went over to their house and did normal stuff so important. Hopefully somebody's listening, and it changes the way you strategize your life moving forward, doing both truth and grace in relationships with the people around us. Here's a, a marking point for you. Jesus said this, or should I say Mark, in the book of Mark chapter 12, right on verse 37. It says that the common people received and heard Jesus gladly. Jesus Christ, who spoke the truth, wasn't afraid to tell people they were wrong. To the most righteous, pharisaical man in the world, he said, unless you go be born again, you're not going to heaven. He just told the truth. And yet the common people said, he's radical, and I like him. He helped me work on my camel one day. You know? And I would, we're, we're in such a small town, okay, such a small community. To be relevant to, to your neighbors, to, the, to your Facebook friends, I think most of you are doing a good job, just so you know. Okay, I don't think we live in this high and outside kind of atmosphere where we're the special ones. Okay? I don't think we have that, but we, be careful. Be, be a part of people's lives. Be, be normal. Coach your kids' soccer teams. Be involved in the schools. Be a part of something that you can volunteer at that has nothing to do with church whatsoever. Okay? Just to bless and to be the light and to be the salt. So here's your questions I'm going to ask you before we move on. How, how is your truth? Are you like Jesus and your unwavering commitment toward the biblical truth of heaven? And is that where you're at? Yeah, I believe it all. Okay, good. You should. If you're still wondering or still kind of weighing and debating, <laughs> let's go have coffee. We'll have a conversation. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Jesus is the truth. Here, here's the next question. How's your grace? Are you relatable to people? Are you normal? Are, are you loved by non-believers? Are you kind towards the lowly people around you? Do you have relationships as much as you have the truth? Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest. This takes some time. There's probably some Pharisees sitting here today saying, oh, I'm just waiting for the rapture. You know, I don't want to get to know anybody. You know, <laughs> I need this to happen today. I was around a lot of different people this weekend. It was a busy weekend. Multiple, multiple memorials with three, four, five hundred people total. Just a lot of people from our community, fishermen community, a lot of rough and tough people. And the Lord just gave me just a, a, a soft heart towards them all, just a great love. 
a real heavenly love for people that I don't even know their names or don't necessarily even understand their lifestyle altogether. And the Lord says, just see right through that. See right through that. When Jesus demonstrates this, going to Capernaum, all the high priests, all the leaders, all the Pharisees, they would never do this. Travel up to Capernaum, maybe, get some fish and chips and then bounce out. Go to the Sea of Galilee there, get some tilapia. That's it. Have you had the tilapia from the Sea of Galilee? No? Maybe, maybe next year. Well, here's the, here's the deal. I asked you two questions. How's your truth? How's your grace? And here's the, here's the command before we move on. Do, uh, do legit things in our community. Okay? Build relationships. They'll, they'll, they know you're a Christian already. Okay, don't worry, about the, don't worry about that. They know. God will convict them of their sins, and God will do in them what he needs to do. That's not your job. The Holy Spirit is given to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And he's given us to the world to be love and light. So fun. It's so freeing. As a matter of fact, just one quick story. I was at a memorial on Friday, and people were coming up to share, and I was overseeing the memorial, and, and it was a rough bunch, and there were some colorful words shared from the stage, and, you know, some four-letter words and other stuff, and that's, they did, it's just part of the culture, and the love and the appreciation that God just overwhelmed me for these individuals, I just, I bet, and I started thinking, because Jesus knew fishermen, didn't he? He picked a couple for his disciples. We call them St. Peter, St. John, St. James, these guys were rough and tough. And I guarantee you, Jesus loved them right where they were at. And they felt that love. And Jesus gave them the truth, and they received that truth. And the transformation began. So fun if we would be more accepting of people right where they're at. Okay? Toe the line. Have your truth. You better get that part figured out. Okay? And then you better live in relationship and grace with the people around you. I dare you. You think Jesus just went and hung out? What's happening in this story? A Gentile Roman soldier comes and talks to him. Luke shows us this story on purpose. So we see the radical craziness of not just Jesus' truth, but Jesus' grace. So fun. So fun. Because the relationships, man, they turn into battle zones. It's real life. Okay? Look at verse 2, actually. Here he is in, in Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick. And ready to die. Stop right there, eyes up here. At this time, I need to remind you that the beginning and the original plan of God, there was no sin, sickness, and death. Okay, there was no need for airbags and locks on your doors and hospitals and 911. In the, in the original design, it wasn't part of the plan. But because sin entered the world and through sin, death, now we're in what I call the battle zone. Okay, the truth is still powerful. The truth is still relevant. It's still real. But there's death, there's dying, and there's sickness. Have, have you come across that? Just yesterday, we did a memorial here, packed out just like this. Andrew Beauchamp, we celebrated his life. The day prior to that, we celebrated and put to rest Dustin Peronto, packed out. D- death and dying. Just a few days before that, I was at OHSU praying for people and all the different floors and levels there and anointing people with oil and asking God for healing. Now, I need to say this. Here's Jesus Christ teaching the truth and in relationship, and all of a sudden, chaos hits. You've got a guy who's sick and dying. What do, we, what do we do with that? You, you've had this question go through your mind, if not put right in your face. If God is good, then why do bad things happen? Or even more common, why do bad things happen to good people? Let me just give you a few theological thoughts. Number one, there are no good people. Okay? 
<laughs> you laugh because you know you're married to somebody. <laughs> there are no good people, okay? There are sinners that are forgiven, and there are sinners that are not forgiven. That's it. And there are sinners that are forgiven that do good things. And there are even sinners that are not forgiven that do good things, okay? There are people that do good things, but there is none good, no, not one. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody good. We are capable of doing good things by God's grace. He's allowed us to follow in his footsteps in that. Okay, why, why do bad things happen to good people? And the second theological reality you need to realize is bad things happen because the world is under a curse right now. We're in the battle zone. This is where we keep the helmet of salvation on, okay? They penalize players in college football now if your helmet falls off during play. It's too dangerous. You're, you're out. You've got to sit out of play. You took your helmet off in the middle of the game. So, so too in Christianity, we've been given a helmet, okay? Because it's dangerous. It's the helmet of salvation. And there is a war going on right now. And it wasn't God's original plan that it would be this way. But there is redemption in the future. Now, let me just say this also. A lot of people want to blame God. Here's Jesus in this situation where he gets to heal a centurion's servant. And you who are theologically minded and are going to be students of the truth, living in relationship with people, are going to get asked that question. I don't believe in your God. It doesn't make any sense. Because the world's full of evil. The world's full of destruction and pain. And I don't believe in a God who would allow that to happen. You ever just kind of thought that through or had someone pose that question to you? Or if there's a God and you say he's good, then why do on average 25,000 children die daily of hunger-related issues? Daily. It's gotten better. It used to be 29,000. Daily. Daily. Every day. And if there's a God who's good, I, I just, eh, it doesn't make any sense. Let me just help you out here. Did you know that on planet Earth, there is enough food and medical supplies, basic medical supplies, there is enough food and clean water and medical supplies for every single human, all 7.5 billion? There's, there's actually enough. I just need you to get that. There is devastation and pain and sickness, and primarily the biggest problem is, rhymes with in, starts with S, three-letter word, sin. God's given enough food, enough water, and enough people to take care of all 7.5 billion people. He's done his job. The green earth, the, the ecosystem, the, the ocean that's full. He's, oh, can you guys dispense this well? No, we're going to have storehouses for ourselves. We're going to make sure we're comfortable. We're not going to... And that's how the world is, because of sin, selfishness, greed, okay? Just, it's not God's fault. I just, I'm saying all that to say this. We live in the battle zone right now. God's asked us to be here, but it is not his fault. It is our responsibility to steward and do our best daily with what he's asked us to do. And listen, the best part, and to look forward to what he has planned in the future, okay? This is just the, the battle zone before eternity begins. So what does Jesus do in this situation? I need you to get this because I need you to also do this. He makes himself available. We know how he gets begged. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But Jesus gets up. All right. Okay. See, Jesus has the ability to make himself available and heal somebody. You and I don't necessarily have that power to heal somebody, but we do have the power to make ourselves available. He just starts walking. Starts, okay. I would say this. The greatest need and the greatest ability in Christianity is availability and willingness. What can you give today to somebody in need? Let's just start with eye contact. It's pretty big. Let's start with respect and love. Let's start with a commitment, a kindness, fruit of the Spirit. 
I wish I could take care of everyone's needs, and the Lord has instructed us, the poor will be with you always. There'll be devastation and sickness always. Don't be need-driven, but do give what you can, which is love and respect and kindness. And the Lord, just willingness. Jesus just starts walking. All right, let's go. Roman dude, crazy. A centurion, nuts. A Gentile, wow. <laughs> and, and Jesus is modeling what it looks like to live in community. One of the greatest ministries that you can offer to somebody is the ministry of withness. Taking your phone, putting it down, and just being with somebody. Some of you are maybe like me, you get the savior complex. You think, wow, it's just so much, I, I can't, there's, I, I can't, and, and so I don't because I, 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 if I can't fix you or, or help you to the degree you need it, I can't even be a part of the, I just, I'm overwhelmed, and the Lord says, Luke, what are you, you're not the, you're not the savior. Just be with them. Just, just, just love them. Just listen. Just be. What can you give? Jesus is willing enough to give what he gives. Look at verse 4, uh, or should I say verse 3. It says, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come heal his servants. Stop right there. Eyes up here. One more point before we move along and cover some ground here. This guy has a problem, a real one. Hears about Jesus and cries out to Jesus through his friends that go to Jesus. Simple point. We all have problems here, don't we? Okay, issues. I'm not talking about the person you brought to church. Different, different, different problems. We all have problems, and we're all good at crying out to somebody. Okay, we usually cry out to ourselves. It's, it's called whining. Okay, <laughs> really good at that. Like it's an American pastime, just whining and complaining. Super good at that. Just it's easy to do. And then occasionally we'll cry out to others. You know, we have somebody to, you can just, you know, whine at. And then we'll cry out on Facebook, and we cry out. Listen, this guy, he does it right. He cries out to God. And for you who are here, there's probably somebody, a Christian, or a hundred or more, that would say, yeah, duh. But I would just ask you, when you are suffering, do you really cry out to God, or do you just cry? Do you cry in your head to yourself, whining and complaining? Of your stuff. Your stuff's real. I'm not trying to make your stuff small. But what do you, what do you, what do you really do with it? Don't answer that question too quickly, because you're probably saying, well, of course I pray. Really? Do, do you really pray, or do you just tell others how you're feeling? Do you tell yourself what you're going through over and over and over, or all day? Are you, are you very aware of your problems, and you think that that's prayer? Just think about it. And here's where the Lord convicted me on Friday. I was on my way to do Dustin Pronto's memorial, and it was a, a long one. It started at noon, and then we went out to Celeste's, and, and I had a real neck pain. I couldn't, my mobility, and I was really in pain. I was on my sixth Advil of the day, just early in the morning, and as I was getting ready to go, the Lord said, why don't you just ask me to heal you? Why don't you ask me to get you through this day? You haven't, you've been, you know, whining and moaning, you know, and the Lord just said, why, you haven't asked me. You crying all day, you baby. And it was really fun. I was driving out by myself. And I was like, Lord, would you just give me the strength? Would you, take my, would you just loosen my neck up a little bit? And Lord, I really need you to heal me. I need you. And I began, it was so fun to take my problems to God, okay, to cry out to him. So different. So don't sit here as a Christian and say, yeah, duh, next point, got it. <laughs> Ask yourself, do I really take my problems to God? Or do I just carry them around all day, hoping that Advil kicks in, you know? It just, I don't know. It was, it was way more fun taking it to God. This guy does something grand here. He oh, hears about Jesus, sends his guys. Would you go beg him earnestly for help? Take it right to Jesus. 
hopefully somebody set free by the way you're bearing your own burdens today. Look at verse 4. And when they came to Jesus and they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Stop right there, eyes up here. These guys show up just like all religious people do. Based on this guy's worth and his need, and they show up and say, dude, this guy's actually legit. Like, if you're going to help anybody, Jesus, it's this guy. He's done great things. He's deserving. Literally, circle it in your Bible. He's deserving. And when I see that, you know what I say? Eh. He had done great things, but he was not deserving of God's favor because of his greatness. This is how religious people think, and it's so dangerous. When you as a religious person, and you're all a little bit religious, trust me, when you as a religious person go to bed early, don't do anything stupid, and you get up early and you read your Bible and you're on your knees praying and you're making breakfast for your family and you come to the four-way stop and no, you go first. No, you go first. And you know, you're, you're a true saint, you know, and, and all the rest. And at the end of the day, man, I just really nailed it today. I was really good all day. You know what? I'm going to go to the Lord and pray because I feel like he's kind of, you know, seen the way I lived and you, know, and you deserve it in your own mind. When in reality, the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, that even our most righteous deeds are to him filthy rags. Even our best effort to the Lord is like one little match to the sun. Look at my flame. <laughs> and the Lord says, I don't think that's, that, that's costing me. It doesn't, that's not helping. I say that to say this. You who are religious occasionally you do good. And on those days, you'll go to the Lord. Awesome. I, 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 think, I think the Lord's going to bless this day. Why? Well, you know, I just I've been doing, I've been, you know, I haven't been blowing it over here, and I got this under control, and I just think, what a shame. Because there's only about 5% of your life that you actually live that way, where you're actually doing good enough to feel good about yourself. Okay, the rest of the time when you feel good about yourself, you're just self-deceived. The rest of us see what's going on, and you think you're doing, <laughs> what are you doing? The problem is the 95% of the time when you know you're not doing good, you know you could be doing better, that, that you haven't tried hard, you, you have been weak and lazy, and then because of your failure to understand how it really works, you don't go to God. I don't deserve his favor today. I've been, I've been, I haven't been holy. I haven't gone to church. I haven't tithed. I haven't read. I haven't prayed. I haven't served in any way at all. God won't hear my prayers. That is not how he works. These guys thought so. He's deserving. Now, you know the rest of the story. As he starts walking, Jesus does. The guy sends messengers, and the guy knows better. He says twice, I'm unworthy. I was so unworthy that I didn't even want to come to you myself. I just, oh, so I know who I am. I'm a Gentile. I'm a centurion. I've got blood on my hands. I'm worthy. I'm unworthy to even come to you. Even more so, don't come to my house. That's crazy talk. I'm going to say something. I believe that the Lord is looking for people who would ask God to do things not based on our worthiness, but based on his word to us. I believe that God is looking for people that would ask him to do things not based on our worthiness, but based on his word to us. Not based on our worthiness, but based on his word to us. 
The eyes of the Lord are on to and fro throughout the whole earth. That God might find those whose hearts are loyal to him. That he might show himself strong on their behalf. This is so fun. When you realize that it's not your worthiness, but it's his word to us that allows us to come boldly into his throne room of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need. The verse we started to worship with this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Otherwise, you'll have to wait for that 5% day of your life. When you do good, you actually got up early and read a verse and didn't get distracted on Facebook and, you know, didn't take a selfie of you in your Bible. Look at me, you know, like, eh, you know, and self-righteousness. And this will set you free during that other 95% of your life when you're just, you're not doing perfect. God hasn't asked us to bring our righteousness to him. Okay, when you get this through your head and you begin to live this out, when you decide to walk in this promise, then you're liberated from self and from pride. God's going to show himself strong. He's going to do things. Okay? I believe God's looking for people right now to bless. He's looking for ministries to use. He's looking for families to shine through that would say, it's not about us. It really isn't. Trust us. If you look deep within, you won't be impressed. As a matter of fact, I love being honest with myself and with God and even with you guys about who I am and my own weaknesses because I'm reminded it is all of grace. It's all of God's kindness that's got us this far, that will get us further, that will do amazing things. When King David showed up to kill the giant, you remember the story? He had two reasons for being able to do so. Neither of it was his worthiness. Both of it was his word to us. I'm saying that on purpose so you memorize it. When King David showed up, he said, okay, the giant, not a big deal. Was it because David was so strong and agile? No. David said two things. You know why this giant's going down? Because he hates God. Okay, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. He hates God. So so that's not going to go well for him. Okay, it's all about him and God. And the second reason is because God has protected me from the bear and the lion previously. It had nothing to do with Dave. Dave showed up and stepped right into the battle and said, watch, because of God. Your belief system on the goodness and grace in the cross of Jesus Christ will be directly seen and experienced based on how you stand on his kindness and not your own self-worth. Your own efforts. There's dozens of people here right now that are wallowing around in shame, mediocrity, smallness, insecurities, doubt, all because you're looking into the mirror in your bathroom rather than the mirror of God's word. And you're focusing on yourself. I wish our kids had more fun at church. Well, this, this guy, look, look at, this is their thoughts, and I want you to see this because it gets more profound. Look at verse 6. Then Jesus went with them. These guys beg him. He's deserving. He's deserving. I wonder, what did Jesus say? He's like, oh, yes? Wow. I'd like to meet this guy. He's deserving? Whoa. Haven't met one of those guys before. Let, by the way, when you pray and read, study, and discipline yourself, you think, well, I kind of deserve, you know, the Lord's favor here. Let me just say something. You never, ever, ever want what you deserve. (laughs) Never pray, Lord, I deserve. Never! 
You deserve the very fires of hell eternally. That's what you deserve. Your actions, your, your, don't, no, no. Say, Lord, can you not give me what I deserve? Okay, that's mercy. And can you give me, Lord, what I do not deserve? That's grace. That's what I need. That's, that's Hebrews 4, 16. Lord, don't give me what I deserve. And God is so gracious. If you believe in the cross, if you believe in Jesus, get over yourself. We're so prideful. We're so in, we just weigh ourselves. Well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm better than I was. I'm not where I should be, but you know, I'm working on it. What? Get over yourself. King David, a man after God's own heart, he was a knucklehead. Yet he believed in the grace and the worthiness of God. So, so this guy, Jesus says, all right, I'll, I'll go. I'll meet this cat. Look at verse six. Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion friends or sent, sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Stop right there, eyes up here. This guy's legit. He's a Gentile. There's not too many Gentile stories in the Gospels. There's a couple. They're noteworthy. They're included for us to know God's character. This Gentile knows that he is not worthy. I, can't, I shouldn't even talk to you. You definitely can't come to my house. It's, I just, I'm not worthy. But I do believe something about you, Jesus. You have authority. These two things, the fact that he knew he was unworthy and the fact that he knew Jesus had authority, Jesus stops and he marvels. Imagine this. Only twice in the scriptures does Jesus marvel, both in regards to faith. And Jesus is walking and he hears that this guy believes in his authority to speak a word to his problem. All you need to do is give, give me a word. That's all you need. I don't even need you here. I just need your word and I'll be fine. And Jesus marvels, looks at the crowd nation of Israel and says, I've not seen faith like this anywhere, even in all Israel. This guy believes that his unworthiness is the key to unlock the authority that I bring to the table. This is upside down according to religion, according to man-centered theology, and it comes from a Gentile. Did you know the other part in the Bible where Jesus marveled? is in Mark chapter seven. He's in his own hometown of Nazareth and he's healing people and he's teaching and the people are astonished at what he's saying and doing. And their conclusion is, isn't this Jojo's boy? Jojo and Mermer, isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid? That's what they say. This is, he's just, he's a carpenter's kid. There's no way. And they don't have faith. You know what, you know what the Bible says? And Jesus marveled at their lack of faith. And he was unable to do any great work in their midst. Jesus is marveling at faith right now in two, two camps. Those who don't have faith in him, and he marvels, really? And did you know that when you don't have faith in him, when you don't believe him, like this guy, in your own unworthiness and in his authority, when you don't believe that, you truncate the power of God. I'm going to say it because I believe there's somebody here right now that needs the Lord to do something in your life. And you're waiting for somebody to do it for you. 
You're waiting for something to break loose. Did you know that this guy right here said, all you got to do is give me your word. Just give the word and your word will, will be enough for me. Your word is enough. Did you know that Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that God has given to us exceeding and abundant and amazing, precious promises? And I wonder if you think of God's word that way. His promises to you. That what his word has said to you is enough to heal your marriage, to minister to your situation, to bless you. Jesus said, go. Healed. Done. Because of this man's humility, I'm unworthy. And Jesus said, wow, that's crazy. I'd like to heal you. I'd like to take care of that. I appreciate your humility. And he had the ability to say, I believe in your authority, Jesus. You don't even have to come to my house. Let me tell you this right now. There are people here struggling with reality in your own lives. And God has given to you the precious promises within his word for your situation. And yet there's a stalemate. Something's wrong. Something's going on. Well, you know, I just need some real. I need Pastor Luke to come over to my house is what I need. I need some real counseling. I need some real, you know, I need some, really? What if you take the precious promises of God? What if you just decide to believe him? What if you decide in your humility, say, I I really don't got a lot to offer to the table, but, but I believe his word. Lord, I need this to actually come to fruition in my life. What? You believe my word is enough? To heal you that I've not given to you the spirit of fear, but the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. You believe that? Boom! And it's yours. You believe that I'll cause all things to work together for good for those who love God and are walking according to my spirit and not according to the flesh. You believe that? Boom! And God begins to work things together for good. Not just in theory. We're Christians here today. We're going to get hung up and stumbled on ourselves primarily. People always say, oh, I love South Beach Church. So cool what's going on there. And I just say, yep, I'm the weakest link. I'm the, I'm the biggest problem. That's all I've got to worry about is me. Same with you. All you've got to worry about is you. Your faith in the Lord. Your humility. Get yourself out of the way. This story. Jesus gives truth, lives in a relationship, and then shows us how the kingdom works. It's not about your worthiness, but it is about his word to us. You will wrestle with this today. You will wrestle with this next week. This will be your wrestling match the rest of your life. Is his word enough? Wow, I I just, it would be so much better if I could just, what? Well, I need his word plus, plus what? Let his word stand. Know the promises of God. Yeah, but I'm just not worthy. Ding, 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 ding. Let him do it. I'm gonna have the worship team come up and lead us in communion as we celebrate Jesus taking communion with one another, examining ourselves, and proclaiming his death until he returns. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you indeed have given to us the word of God, the promises of God. That you, Lord, have made yourself known to us through the revelation of your Son. That, Lord, we can study this together. And I pray, Holy Spirit, now a blessing on my friends, this church. That, Lord, this section of Scripture, this little story, this little window, this little vignette, this little piece of history that Luke gave us to study would change our lives. That we would repent, Lord, of our secret pride, of our hidden pride. 
of our secret insecurities, of counting ourselves way too important for the equation. Forgive us of that in Jesus' name. May we instead exalt the cross, exalt Christ, exalt Jesus. Instead of looking to exalt ourselves, forgive us, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, may your word be enough. This man said to Jesus, I'm under authority just like you. I know how it works. I say do this and it's done. You do the same thing, Jesus. Just give me your word. It's enough. I pray, Lord, for that simple faith to be ours this morning. Forgive us, Lord. Even as we come to the table, may there be great liberation, freedom. For the man or woman who's been struggling with sin, Lord, may the truth prevail. May there be, Lord, victory in Jesus' name. And may there be worship in Jesus' name today because it's not about them. Father, we thank you. We worship you. Lord, I also pray for this group as we hear the truth week in and week out that it would translate into relationships with the people of Lincoln County. Lord, may we have more love than ever before for the people around us as we stand in the truth. Do a mighty work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.